uh, I love leading people and I've done a good job of it. And I saw what good culture could do for an organization. How could we scale that nationwide, industry-wide? How do we build this type of culture in veterinary medicine, period? That was Andrew Luna on this week's episode of the People of Veterinary Medicine podcast. The People of Veterinary Medicine, brought to you by Luca Veterinary Data Security. Greetings, DVMs, practice managers, vet techs, support staff, veterinary consultants, and podcast enthusiasts. Welcome or welcome back. In this week's episode, we are talking with Andrew Andrew Luna, who is the founder of Hound, which is a new recruitment software people connecting device that's going to launch here in September of 2021. What I love about Andrew is I love people who think big. I love people who have a growth mindset. I've been in, involved in so many companies and organizations where it was just anytime somebody entered the space, it was like, oh no, there's potential competition. Where there's one man shop that, you know, it was another technology company on the East Coast that really would have no impact on our business. It was like, oh, they're a threat. What can we do to get them out? And, you know, I've always had this, you know, before, even before I read the book, and thanks to Robert Sanchez of Digital Empathy for recommending the book, but before I even read Carol Dweck's book, A Growth Mindset, I realized that, like, that is how I've gotten through life. I've thought about, how can I grow? What can I learn from my mistakes? How can I get better? And not to worry about what other people are doing. And what I love about Andrew is that he was just like very people first. He saw a problem. There are, there are some solutions out there. They're doing a decent job, but he's like, I just feel like we can do it better. And sure, you know what? We may not service everybody, but we can service some people that it's really going to fit for and it's going to allow us to grow and help the industry grow. And I love this growth mindset. I, I love the idea of thinking big, having big dreams, being excited about things because then it gets me excited about the things that we're working on and the things that we're trying to do. And it's just really infectious. And I think that's how you start to build a better culture. And we talk about that a little bit, you know, these problems with culture and people. And he said something great, and that's why I use it as the title of this podcast. But, you know, people and culture must come first. And it's so, so important. And I have put that very forefront in the Luca organization. And I have learned so much from organizations that thought they were putting people and culture first, but really weren't. And this lack of a growth mindset and this very kind of stuck in our ways led to so many problems and it was things that I never wanted to recreate and I never want, never wanted to do that again. Or I've had friends or like my wife have worked, worked for businesses and I'm, you, you ask yourself like, how are these people in business? Like, how do they have employees with this just lack of culture and people first mindset? I just never understood how it works. And so I'm really excited to get you into this conversation. I mean, Andrew is just such a good speaker. I really didn't have to do much. I mean, he kind of ran the show. So. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I really did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. All right. All right, man. I'm excited for this. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah. You know, ironically, I actually hung out with uh, Stephanie from Fear Free this morning. We went and grabbed a coffee up at at my buddy's coffee shop at Westminster. So that was fun. And so I feel like I saw you the the other day and then... um, yeah, and then 
we, I was talking about you this morning and then here we are chatting again. So yeah, man, excited, <laughs> excited to have you here. So, oh, and, so uh, you know, and ironically, before we even get, I mean, before we even dig into you and everything you've got going on, I do have to give you some other credit. Like, um, you know, an, an opportunity came across our desk to explore, uh, let's just say a new technology device, a, a physical device. And I happened to like, it's a little bit outside our wheelhouse, but I was like, dude, we got to go for it. Like we got to think big and we should try it. And so it's slightly out of our wheelhouse. It's scary, super exciting at the same time. So yeah, hopefully we make some changes, but it was kind of, I was like, no, man, we got to think big, you know, we got to, uh, we got to try to do different things. So, and I was, I'll definitely say it was partially because of the, you know, when we had coffee the other day, I was like, yeah, got to keep thinking big, got to keep pushing, got to keep trying to make change and do things differently. You know, you never make change by sitting on the sidelines. So anyways, with all that, <laughs> that set up, um, I only have one canned question for the, well, there's two canned questions. I should say there's one at the beginning and one at the end. So the one at the beginning is how did you get involved in vet med? Yeah, when I graduated high school, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. So that's what led me to vet med. And I've always had pets, always loved them and thought I was going to be a vet. I feel like so many people have this story. Um, and then, yeah, I started my undergrad and started working in vet hospitals and then kind of learned that it maybe wasn't, I wasn't cut out for it. Uh, but I definitely still love the industry so much. So, okay. So you wanted to be a doctor, but why, so why, like, why didn't you? You know, I don't know. I think making that decision when you're 18 years old is super hard. Um, I just started working in a practice and I don't know. I just felt like it just wasn't it. I wasn't sure. Uh, I wasn't sure why uh, it didn't click for me, but it just, it just didn't. I just was looking at the doctors and kind of how things were done. And I don't know, felt that there was something different to try. I had no idea. I was a young kid uh, and then switched my degree to human anesthesiology um, thought that I was going to be an anesthesiologist and then started doing, you know, clinicals and human medicine and realized, you know, I'm not, not cut out for this either. At least the stories that I have from human health probably aren't podcast friendly, but <laughs> that's all right. We can talk about anything here. Nothing's, nothing's off the te- topic, uh, the table with, with this. So we're okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, I can give the whole origin story. I don't know if that's a good topic for this, but uh, if you wanted to dive into that, I could definitely kind of explain what that looked like uh, going from, you know, starting work in veterinary hospitals and where I saw my career path and then kind of where it led me to where I am today. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with this story, but I think it would be good to set the context. So I mean, yeah. What was your, like, how did you end up in the first, cause you were down in the Austin area, right? If I remember correctly. That's so right. how did you, how did you end up working for this, this one hospital that kind of then became a hospital group? How did that come about? Well, that's uh, a pretty funny uh, journey. So let's see. Uh, one of my friends actually uh, went and got a job at this practice based on a introduction from another friend. Um, and then my best friend a few months later was like, Hey, you know, they're wanting to open multiple locations and they need somebody who like understands business a bit to help do this. I think you should connect with the owner. <clears throat> uh, and so, you know, I kind of introduced my friend initially to somebody who worked there and helped them get a job. And then a few months later, it turned around and got me a job. Uh, <laughs> so that's how I ended up you know, landing at that veterinary hospital. Yeah. So you said something there that I thought was interesting and definitely showed in like the conversations we've had before is like, you know, somebody said, Hey, Andrew, they need somebody who knows business. 
so how did you get like how did you like how did you get like because you seem very passionate and excited about like building business models researching how that would work how do we make change how do we do different stuff so how did you a how did you get into like actually you know like mba style like business type discussions and obviously other people saw that in you so how did that all come about yeah so my college journey was kind of wild i feel like a lot of people changed their degree quite a bit i definitely did that and i definitely had some moments where i was taking a semester of classes and had no idea uh, where I was going to end up and what type of degree I was going to have. But, you know, really what happened is I, th I started out thinking I was going to be a vet. I started my undergrad in biology, um, started, you know, working in veterinary hospitals, kind of realized I wasn't cut out for maybe being a doctor in vet med, switched over to human health, realized kind of same thing. You know, I think for me, it's like I just didn't want to be in scrubs and fluorescent lighting all day, you know, and I was feeling that pretty hard. So when I was 20. Uh, this is what led me to, to realizing I really love business. When I was 20, I was working in a, an emergency veterinary hospital, doing my uh, clinical rotations in human hospitals. And I noticed that there was a, a problem in both vet med and in human health. And it was based around injectable medications. So, you know, 95% of injectable medications are in glass vials. And these vials would break, you know, at the emergency animal hospital I was working at, there was a patient having a seizure. We rushed to get the diazepam. The diazepam vial broke, and that dog had a seizure for another couple minutes until we got into the lockbox and grabbed another vial of diazepam. And in human health, they have, you know, there's Cubex, uh, Cubex, and Pixis, same company. They have these giant uh, dispensing units full of injectable medications, many of which are controlled drugs. And what happens is these things are open and closed all day, every day, and the vials shatter. And sometimes they're toxic drugs where if you touch them, you can have things like uh, spontaneous abortion or liver failure or even, you know, have uh, it, it could be quite damaging to your health. Right. Uh, sharps injuries, all of this stuff is pretty bad. But also what happens is sometimes these controlled drugs would break and the nurses would be uh, the nurses would be told that they were. Uh, doing drug diversion, right, which is a big uh, issue in, in human health, and they would lose their jobs. Right? They would lose their jobs. So I started looking into this a bit more, and I was like, "That's kind of weird. All of these problems are happening because of vial breakage. And that seems like a thing we could fix kind of easily." So I actually invented and patented a pharmaceutical packaging solution for pharmaceutical vials. Uh, and when I was working at the emergency veterinary hospital, if anybody who worked with me at the time is listening to this, they'll remember. I was weird about it. I would, you know, save empty vials uh, and, you know, then test with them. I'd fill them up with water, drop them, they'd break. I'd put my, you know, invention on it and throw it across the room and it wouldn't break. I was like, okay, cool. So I created something that works. Uh, how do I now, like, take on big pharma, you know, and build a business out of this thing? You know, there's a big difference between a product and a company. You can have an amazing product, but you have to have a business model and a company, a go-to-market plan, all of this to make this work. I was 20 years old. I didn't have a business degree. I was like, you know, in health sciences. And I started this company. I put together a team of people. My dad works in human health. Uh, so I had some introductions and got to meet with a lot of people. And what was pretty cool is, you know, we did some market validation. We basically spoke with a ton of people in the industry and they were all telling us like, yeah, this is really cool. It'd be great if you could solve this problem. But what we found was that 
you know, the pharmacies themselves didn't want to apply this protective cover to the vials because right? that was just more handling of the medications, which means more potential risk to the healthcare providers. And they told us, look, go upstream, right? So then we went to distributors, started speaking to distributors. And like, I mean, we've got forklifts and dudes in warehouses. We're not going to have people applying covers to these vials. So go upstream. So then we went to Big Pharma, started speaking to pharmaceutical manufacturers. <clears throat> and that's where we realized, okay, this is going to be a multinational manufacturing company. And it was honestly just uh, way too big for me. Uh, and for the team that I'd kind of like scrounged together, just a bunch of like college buddies and people I met at university. Um, so unfortunately, after a lot of hard work, a lot of money, uh, you know, I worked overnights and overtime in college to pay for my degree and to like, you know, pump cash into this startup. Um, and along the way, I realized like, man, I need I need some like business acumen. So I switched my degree to business and felt that that's definitely where I belonged, right? I mean, I just excelled uh, there. I took a, you know, I only have my undergrad, uh, my BBA. Uh, someday I'll get my MBA if I need it. But I took the uh, management track with a focus on entrepreneurship. And quite honestly, I kind of swept a lot of the competitions in uh, my time in uh, business school. I won a ton of competitions in the entrepreneurship program for this idea and others that, that I had. Um, and it was a whole lot of fun. So I realized like, man, okay, I have this aptitude for finding different ways of doing things. I think it's really important to notice the distinction between better and different. Better means that you're doing the same thing, but tweaking it. Different means you're doing something different, a different category, you're playing in a different arena. Um, and I think that there's a big opportunity for veterinary medicine to start doing things different, uh, which is kind of where it's led me today. But, you know, just to rewind and go back to where we were, I started this uh, pharmaceutical packaging company. I made zero dollars. I lost tens of thousands of my overtime dollars. That was really, really brutal. Um, but then, yeah, I switched my degree, got my business degree, and then joined this group in Austin, Texas. And when I joined, they were opening uh, their second hospital. <clears throat> so I joined and you know, I was joining as a director and my goal was to help scale the business, uh, implement systems and processes, implement technologies, uh, and then open uh, a couple other hospitals. The owner wanted to scale quickly and then sell to a consolidator. You know, everybody was looking at these nice multiples, the nice exits that people were having for, you know, just a handful of practices. And he saw a good opportunity. So, you know, that owner was a visionary. Right? He had a really awesome brand, really awesome vision for the way that a veterinary hospital could be run. Um, and we executed very well. We had amazing culture in our facilities, amazing client experience. I mean, I partnered with like a local Austin, Texas brewery, um, Live Oak. Honestly, my favorite beer is the Live Oak Hefeweizen. And it's local to Austin. So when I moved out of Austin and came here to Denver, I can no longer get that beer, which super sucks. Um, but anyway, I mean, we even partnered with this brewery. We partnered with Big Swig Sparkling Water. We partnered with an, another local Austin um, company, Casita Cold Brew. So, you know, you walk into the practice and immediately you see a, a cold brew keg on tap or you're offered a, a big bark beer or some sparkling water. We got music playing and instead of like the shitty plastic chairs that you see at so many clinics, it's like a nice couch and a rug and like beautiful graphic or sorry, beautiful interior design. It's all about experience, right? Experience is so important. 
<clears throat> and so this was kind of the, the human experience that we made sure that we were providing uh, to our clients. We also made sure we had a great experience for employees. Right? We made sure that we paid well, made sure that we provided benefits. We made sure um, that we had the facilities that were inspiring, made sure that we used modern technology. I think we all know VetMed is kind of like, you know, tech can be quite outdated uh, in VetMed. I speak to a lot of investors and what they, the language they use is that veterinary medicine is an antiquated, uh, anti-tech industry. Feels kind of harsh, like be nicer guys, but I, I understand what they're saying, right? I mean, you've got so many of these practice management software, PIMS, that are like from the 90s, you know? And it's amazing seeing the guys like VetSpire, seeing the guys like Televet and Digitail that are building new technology. Um, you see this new wave of software in veterinary medicine, which I think is really interesting. So, you know, it's, it's all about experience. We focused a lot on that uh, at our practices and we were able to build very healthy culture. You know, I think that at most practices today, we all feel this HR crisis. We've got uh, an HR uh, crisis due to shortage, due to turnover, due to burnout and compassion fatigue, depression and suicide. There's all these huge, huge, huge HR problems in veterinary medicine. And at our practice, we didn't feel so much of that. Right? We had a handful of locations. We were fully staffed on doctors, fully staffed on uh, techs and receptionists, assistants, uh, because we built a better experience for the people. It's all about experience. And through that experience, you know, when your team members are happy, you deliver amazing client care. The patient care is better. Uh, and we saw this. And when that happens, these are leading indicators for your lagging indicators, which are things like growth and revenue and so on, right? So we had a very, very healthy business. We operated on very healthy margins. So our margins weren't compressed like you usually see in vet med. Uh, it's kind of this backwards way of thinking, like I can't pay my people more, it's gonna compress our margins. You're wrong. It costs you so much more to replace people constantly than it does to pay your people better. Pay your people better, compensate them better, give them a better experience. They work harder, they're more productive, and you end up with a much healthier business. And we proved that model. We proved it, right? And then we sold and we exited to a consolidator. Um, and at that time, I had a huge opportunity placed in front of me. Basically, we were having conversations about me becoming the CEO uh, of this small group because the owner, you know, look, he, he is in his 40s, ready to retire uh, and ready to hand over the keys to operating this business. So here I was in my mid 20s. You know, I'd been in Austin for 10 years. And I really had to think about this opportunity because, you know, I felt like I was maybe a bit on a conveyor belt. I got my degree, good job, had my fiance, what's next? Like a house and kids and a car and like all the things that I definitely want. And I really respect and appreciate those values. But it felt like it was happening too soon and too prescribed. So my fiance and I really talked about all this a lot. And we decided to do something absolutely crazy. Uh, we moved to Thailand instead. Right? So I moved to Thailand. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just decided, let's go do it. Um, you know, we traveled quite a, quite a lot. Uh, I actually, for six months while I was working for that veterinary group, uh, I actually worked remote abroad. Uh, so I lived in South Africa for four months. And I absolutely love South Africa. I've been back five times. Uh, we also spent some time in Costa Rica and some time in Thailand. And then we came back to the States. We kind of had that travel bug, you know, and we were not feeling so happy living uh, in the same place we'd been for 10 years. So we had the itch. 
And um, yeah, it was a really, really tough decision, but you know, I respectfully declined um, that opportunity. Uh, we are still very good friends. I'm still very good friends with many of the people at that group and the consolidator. Um, but it just wasn't something that I felt I could commit to for the next 10 or so years of my life. Right. Uh, and I think so, that's the right decision. So I definitely want, before you go to the next, next chapter, I kind of want you to elaborate because early on you said, you know, I'm not sure I could see myself under the fluorescent lights and in scrubs. But you kind of ended up under the fluorescent lights, but without the scrubs. So did that way, like as you're looking at this opportunity and this decision, did that kind of idea and like that kind of lifestyle also kind of weigh heavily on you? And like, and again, this idea, like it resonates with me because I realized like I have to keep moving, you know, like I can't be tied to a desk. I would go insane. And so this idea of kind of being tied to the fluorescent lights and the scrubs for lack of a better term, like did that pull that you had and push you at early on kind of play on to this later decision? It's actually really funny that the fluorescent light thing has come full circle because uh, we were actually kind of crazy about fluorescent lighting in our practices. We busted holes in walls and put up humongous windows so that we could have more natural lighting as well. Um, we put glass doors in place instead of the old wooden or old metal doors in place so that we could have more natural lighting. This is actually, you know, it's all about like building design and experiential design, like this is important. Uh, so it's funny that this comes back up because this is actually very important to that group. If you go look at any of their hospitals, it's called pause veterinary. If you go look at their facilities, they are stunning. They're beautiful. Um, and they. <laughs> this is actually one thing they focus on, right? They focus on making sure that you have these bright, beautiful spaces to work within. It's more inspiring. Right. It's just much more inspiring. Um, so, you know, what made me what made me feel like maybe I didn't want to keep working in a veterinary hospital at the time. I don't know. I've always been super drawn to innovation, to technology. And even when I was working at those uh, practices, my favorite thing was implementing all these software solutions. I actually implemented a technology called Vetstoria. Vetstoria is a leading multinational veterinary software company. They book millions of veterinary appointments around the world. And it's actually my day job right now. I'm the head of sales for North America for this company. Um, we'll get there in a sec. Um, but it was, you know, super fun to implement these types of solutions. You know, I implemented that story at pause and it drove millions of dollars in lifetime value for the business, right? Technology is so important um, for veterinary medicine. It truly is. If we look at practices today, what do we see? We see there's a, a, a ton of burnout. Everyone's overwhelmed. Um, and there's a way to solve these problems with solutions that are simply more efficient um, and that support your people. So one thing that I would love for the industry to do differently, this is would be a very big change. One thing I'd love for the industry to do differently is to stop gatekeeping support. What I mean by this is practice managers. I'm not being mean to you, but right? I've been a practice manager. I know your pains. It's a very, very hard role, but it's way too common. And any software, I don't know, uh, anybody in software and veterinary medicine is going to understand what I'm talking about here. When you call a practice and you say, hey, I'm calling with this solution to help with the problem for you guys. By the way, it's super cheap because veterinary software is super cheap. Uh, can I speak with the practice manager? They say, no, practice manager is in a meeting. No, they're not. They're not in a meeting, right? They're literally just screening you. Uh, and then they, they say, what are you calling for? They go and write it down on a sticky note, walk back to the back. The practice manager is doing something. And they say, yeah, tell them I'm in a meeting. No, they're not. 
this, they're not a meeting, right? They just like don't want to have these conversations and that needs to change. And at our uh, group of hospitals, that was very, very important to us. We took every meeting that we could with every single outside vendor. And here's the reason why. Most practice managers are technicians or receptionists with five or 10 years of industry experience. They might be phenomenal at client care or at patient care. They might be the best person in the surgery suite, period, right? Bar none. But then they get promoted into this practice manager role. They might not have any formal business training. Some of them have a BS in animal science, but they don't learn anything about business. And then they're expected to manage this $1.5, $2 million a year business, 20 coworkers, finance, marketing, HR, thousands of inventory items. And that's a big problem, right? How is this person supposed to be able to know how to manage all of this? They truly don't, right? They don't. And it's too much for one person anyway. If you look at other organizations, you have specialized roles to manage these things. But you have this practice manager who's also still, for some reason, expected to help out on the floor or in the surgery suite, but is also supposed to be managing the entire business. But then they're also restricted by the practice owner and not allowed to be autonomous in decision making. It's it's messed up and we need to solve it. And one thing that I know can truly help these practice managers is more conversations with sources of support. And what I mean by sources of support is these software companies who can teach you, right? Go speak to a software company in veterinary medicine. They will teach you how you can be more efficient in your practice. Go speak to an inventory consultant. They will teach you how to be more efficient in inventory. Go speak to an HR consultant and they will teach you how to be more efficient in HR. Hire a marketing consultant. The list goes on, right? There are people to support you. They don't need to be full-time employees, but we can equip our practice managers with software, with education, with resources and support systems to better do their jobs and to better manage the practice, to better manage their people and to create better outcomes for clients and their patients. And so what I see today is this, they're in a meeting. No, they're not. And that is so damaging to the practice. It's so, so, so damaging. So if the practice could do one thing today, if practice managers could do one thing today, that's pretty easy to do. They could tell the reception teams, hey, you know how I've been telling you to tell everyone who asks for me that I'm unavailable? I shouldn't have been doing that. Will you please, anytime you get a call and you want me, come get me and I will take that phone call. Practice managers need to do this because there's a ton of people who are here to support them and here to help. I know how busy practices are today. I speak with them all day, every day. My best friends work in this industry. My family members work in this industry. My closest colleagues work in this industry. I'm not some outsider telling the industry how to do things. Like I've done it. I felt it. Uh, this is super, super uh, intimate to me. I understand these things uh, very acutely. But this is one thing that practice managers, I think, could change very quickly and easily that would result uh, in a much better experience for themselves, for their teams, for their clients, for their patients. You, know, you can evolve your practice simply by implementing a few new technologies, whatever it might be. And there's a you know a little bit of legwork that goes into it. It's called change management. But we have to have this mindset of continuous improvement. Uh, if you actually look at the veterinarian's oath, it literally has an isolated statement that says, I will you know continuously improve in my profession. It's in the veterinarian's oath. And we need to like take that part of the oath a bit more seriously. So um, anyway, that was, uh, you know, that was kind of my word to the practice manager. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really do respect and appreciate them. Again, I've done the job, 
Uh, I've been in their shoes and I understand how challenging it can be, uh, but just some tough love uh, for me on something that I think could make it a lot better for a lot of people. So let's, so let's expound on that on like your own personal experience in management, because I think the, the other thing that like I see within the industry it, and you architected it beautifully and like how I think the same problem goes for practice ownership, right? You have doctors that are like, okay, I've got a, a crap amount of debt. Really, my only option is to own a practice to try to make a decent living. And yet they never, they never, they don't really have much business acumen, but are some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. You know, amazing doctors want to still practice medicine. You know, most doctors at least a couple of days a week. But yet, so it's kind of this like twofold problem. It's like the practice manager needs the approval of the do- the owning, owning doctor, but then the owning doctor is kind of like, well, revenue, 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 Does is it going to help? You know, they kind of get stuck on this question. But with you, you had an owner that was like, check it out. Tell me what you find. If it's going to be helpful, let's, let's, let's look at it. So how was the owner that you worked for different from the other owners that you've seen? Oh, wow. Uh, very, very, very different. Um, so this guy's name is Nick Vaughn, right? What's up, Nick? Uh, miss you, man. <laughs> Hope to see you again soon. Um, yeah, he is uh, way different uh, than your standard practice owner, like by miles. Okay. This dude is a visionary. Uh, he understands experience. He understands like, look, there's a bigger picture, right? You got to spend money to make money. And also, why are you batting an eye at a $300 a month software solution? I just mentioned that Vetstoria brought millions in lifetime value to the business. Why is any practice questioning spending $300 a month on technology? It makes no sense. It makes no sense why they wouldn't implement every single piece of technology that you could possibly get your hands on to make your business run better. If you look at the at that business and others similar to them, they spend a ton of money on resources. They spend a ton of money on technology, but things all have returns, right? And it makes the business run better. Um, so if you look at him versus other practice owners, I don't know. It's the old school mindset versus the new mindset. It's like, you know, people who are stuck in their ways versus somebody who truly sees a better path forward and wants to be different, not just the same, not status quo, and not just a little bit better than the way it's been, but different than the way that it's been. And so I think that was obviously a a big part of it. You know, you can have, we run into this quite a lot too. This is really frustrating. When you get a practice manager who, you know, tells you, yeah, 10 out of 10, I love this software. I love this solution. I think this would help me. It would help my teams. It would help our clients. And it's like, okay, great. Let's help you get set up. It's only going to take you a couple hours of your time to do this. And they're like, well, I don't think the owner is going to approve it. Why not? There's no answer, right? There's no answer, right? It doesn't make sense. Uh, the software very clearly has to make a return for you. And it does, right? Delivers value, saves time, gives a better client experience, captures new clients. Like it's it, These types of solutions very, very easily uh, are valuable to the business. And it helps the practice manager and it helps your teams and it helps your clients and it provides better client compliance, so better patient care. Why are we being met by this like, no? It's just this no that's present in the industry. It's got to go away. And this is actually called the corporate antibody. So the corporate antibody, um, which you know, people in healthcare 
might like this metaphor because of the antibody component. But really what it is, is anytime that there's some kind of change presented, the immediate gut reaction is to give it a big fat no, right? To go reject it, to get it out. This is foreign. It doesn't belong here. Leave. Um, and that is not healthy, right? That is not healthy. Um, the opposite of the corporate antibody is, you know, growth mindset. It is continuous improvement. It's Kaizen. Um, it's any of these philosophies or models where you're focused on growth and change continuously, never ending. You never get to the finish line. You always improve. You always get better incrementally. Um, and if you ever are saying the words, this is how we've always done it, or now nah, we're just old school. We want to keep it this way. You're going to fail or your people are going to hurt or you're going to have really bad turnover at your practice or whatever it might be. These are the things that need to go away. We basically just need the industry. And I'm saying, it, you know, kind of like this should be an easy thing to solve. It's a huge uh, transformation that's needed. But we basically need the industry to be much more open and receptive to change. And that's a huge problem right now. If you listen to other podcasts, they talk about change management all the time. If you listen to Consolidator podcasts, they talk about this stuff all the time. The big, huge hurdle that we run into is this corporate antibody, right? This uh, reluctance to change, even though it would make everyone's life so much better. I can't rationalize it. I can't make sense of it. It simply is people who are stuck in their ways and that needs to not be the acceptable culture of veterinary medicine. It's kind of like gone on this way for so long that it's almost acceptable and expected that this is how we treat things. And that needs to change. And I'm excited because it does seem to be changing, right? There is a huge generational shift in this industry. We see it happening right now. The industry is now millennial dominated. It's women dominated. It's becoming more diverse. It's becoming, because it's millennial dominated, more focused on experience, more focused on culture, more focused on technology, because these millennials have grown up with technology and expect technology in everything that they do. So I think that in the next several years, we're going to see some very big transformative shifts in this industry. And it's because of several factors. Uh, what I just mentioned, plus the consolidation of veterinary medicine, which you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of consolidators. Um, and I think it's mainly just a lack of not truly understanding like what they are. You know, people call consolidators corporates. There's a distinction between a consolidator and a corporate. And I don't know if people working in practice, say a technician or assistant, like truly understand the differences between those things. But what I can tell you about consolidators, I work with them all the time. I've got plenty of great friends and colleagues in the consolidator space. <clears throat> what I can tell you about these people is, you know, a lot of them have Harvard business degrees or uh, some Ivy League, uh, you know, business background, and they truly do understand these concepts we're talking about right now. They understand them even uh, more granularly than, than I do or that I'm speaking about right now. And what they are able to do is they're able to help shine the light on these things. But what they run into is pushback from the practices that they don't really want to have a consolidator come and buy them and then change everything, right? So what we see today is we've got these consolidators who if they wanted to, they truly understand all this stuff. When we speak to consolidators about technology and all these things like, yeah, duh, right? Of course we should be doing these things. Of course we should have better benefits for our employees. Of course, we should pay better. Of course, we should have better technology and experience for our employees and our clients. Like, of course, right? Of course, it's a no-brainer. But then the challenge comes from implementation into the practices, change management. So there's two, really two things that happen. Number one, 
the practices dig their heels and they push back because they feel like they're up against some corporate and that's not it, right? These organizations can actually come and help you, right? If a, if a consolidator purchases your practice, don't dig your heels, right? That, like they're going to implement solutions that they've seen are proven and work, right? These, these guys, uh, <laughs> they've got a plan to, su- to succeed. And if you're on a older technology platform or you're doing things the old way, they probably want to get you to the new and better way, right? Um, but what happens is they are reluctant to piss off the practices, right? So they don't force things most times on practices. They say, look, we can, we will do all the discovery. We'll qualify stuff for you. We'll get good discounts for you and then let you pick and choose if you'd like to use it. And they do this because they don't want to like, you know, disrupt the, the practice, upset them and make them feel like they're coming in and like with a sledgehammer, just changing everything. But maybe VetMed, like honestly, maybe VetMed needs a bit of a sledgehammer, right? Maybe we kind of need to shake it up a bit and realize, okay, guys, look around you. Aren't we all saying we're all burnt out? Aren't we all saying that we're hurting? Aren't we all quitting our jobs and like trying to find some other way to do things? Why would we keep doing it the same if we're all complaining about it? You know, you, you go on LinkedIn, all you see about is like, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. I can't find anybody. You go on Instagram and all you see is like the entire workforce complaining, hurting, being very, very underappreciated. And obviously we need to change it. It kind of needs a sledgehammer, right? It kind of needs a sledgehammer. Um, There's a lot of beautiful things about veterinary medicine. You know, so many beautiful things. The people in this industry are amazing. They're so smart. They are so kind. A lot of times they're very altruistic and sometimes they have no personal boundaries which actually gets them into a hard spot. They put people and others, patients, coworkers, pet owners before themselves so much that sometimes it actually ends up damaging themselves. That is how caring the people of this industry are. But I just think that the industry, it does. It, it needs a big, big, big shake. Uh, and we need to do better for our people, right? We need to do better for our people. Um, so I do. I think that there's quite a bit that could be changed. I think the, the consolidation of the industry is actually a good thing if the consolidators can deliver on their promises to these businesses and if the businesses stop dragging their heels, right? Let consolidators make changes that benefit the business um, and that benefit your people. Um, You know, I think that there just needs to be uh, more open-mindedness in veterinary medicine for sure. Which is ironic. And you, you said a couple of things there, like when you first went into say corporate anybody thing, a, what I think is ironic, what I think is unique about this is that when we think about corporations, like when we think about the Amazons, the Googles, we think about these other companies in the world and we think about, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, for a long time, Google was like the place to work. They supposedly had like amazing culture. So maybe they're a bad idea. Maybe they're not this way anymore, but generally there's a lot of horror stories about like Walmart and Amazon, right? Like terrible work environment. You're just a number, all these horror stories that you hear about corporations, but yet it seems in like vet med, that there is an opportunity for change with the corporations, which I think is unique um, because it's kind of flip-flopped, right? It, it, from what we, I think, as a generally as a society think of when we think of like, you know, corporations. What is also interesting is, you know, on some points you made there about this idea of change and not being stuck in your ways is Logan, who's on my team. We talk about this a lot because we both worked at another uh, technology company. And it was interesting because this company was very, very stuck in its ways. Like we could never adapt 
to our customer needs, right? Like our customer needed X. And if we just made a shift, we could accomplish that and do something different. But it was from the top, it was always like, no, that isn't our, that isn't our process. That's not our procedure. That's not our, that's not our process. And it was like this thing that like we're stuck in this process. But what's interesting is a technology company saying that is like when I first got started in technology working for my first software company, what was the first thing I learned? Agile development, right? Like learning how to adapt to the market, learning how to go there with the least viable product, your MVP, right? And letting the market tell you how to help and and help and make your product better. But yet we as a technology company were stuck in a way that it just wasn't happening. And as a result, I mean, the staff, you know, the staff there has turned a number, a number of times. And it's truly unfortunate because I feel like they, the company, and I think the owner, he is really great and he has a lot of great ideas and could do some good stuff, but just this old school mindset of like, I can't get out of my way, you know, in, in these procedures and these, this process that I'm like stuck in that I think just wrecks everything else. And what I think is a great segue is what we've also talked about is this, so this idea of being stuck in our ways and now with the younger generations being more focused on people and culture and, and the, the experience, that's something that you and I have talked quite a bit about before is this idea of people and culture, and you've kind of made a shift now to really push towards that direction. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did, um, yeah, A, how did you get really interested in the people? I mean, Ironically, my podcast went from the Veterinary Business Insider to the People of Veterinary Medicine because I realized very quickly it's more important to talk about the people rather than it was to actually talk about the business side of it. But what was that shift for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think most people who know me know I'm a, I'm a people person and I love caring for others. Uh, in every leadership role I've ever had, I focus so much on culture, right? It's so important to me. I'm a firm believer that you can have a amazing product or service, but if your culture and your team isn't healthy, then that will fail. You can have an okay product or service and amazing culture and amazing people behind it, and that will win every day, right? Every day. Culture and people must come first. Like if anyone listens to this and they take one thing away from this, it's just simply that people must come first, right? People must come first. Uh, You're going to hear me saying this quite a lot uh, here coming soon. I'm starting a new business around people and culture. Um, and, you know, I've managed and hired well over 100 people in my career. And what I can tell you is that if you take care of your teams and you take care of your culture, they in turn will be more productive. They will be synergistic. They will create better experiences amongst themselves and amongst your clients or customers, and you will have a healthier business, right? So caring for people, I think, is kind of something we all inherently want to do. I hope. I'm a believer that people are inherently good, right? I don't believe that people are inherently bad. Um, So I believe that people are good. And I think that in veterinary medicine, like I mentioned, they're very kind, smart people. Um, But for far too long, like we haven't focused on people in veterinary medicine. We really haven't. We haven't focused on the experience of our people. You know, go ask any practice today. We already kind of talked about how practice managers typically don't have a formal business background or HR training or anything, and they kind of just fall into the role. Um, And if you go ask those practice managers or even the consolidators, what are you doing to make sure that culture is managed well in your practice? What software, which technologies are you using to manage your culture? 
What does your uh, workforce engagement look like? What are your health metrics of your people? They look at you like completely blank. I have no idea, right? If you ask a practice manager, typically, what's your HRM strategy? They're like, my what? Your human, human resource management strategy. How are you managing your people? And they'll tell me, uh, I don't know, we hire on Indeed and I use like ADP or Paycom to pay them. What are you asking me? I don't really understand like what I should be doing. And then you can get them to this aha moment where they realize like, oh, wow, there's this entire journey, right? This employee life cycle, the HRM life cycle, where hiring is this tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the pie, right? And then you onboard them and you train them and you intervene and you recognize and reward and you do follow-ups and one-on-ones and surveys and all the way through to eventually offboarding this employee. There's an entire process that's not being managed. And this is why our people are hurting in veterinary medicine. Um, so, you know, I actually just recently put together the ultimate guide to awesome culture in veterinary medicine. And this was an amazing piece to work on. It is not a quick 10 minute read. Uh, if you want to solve culture in veterinary medicine, it's going to take a bit more than a quick scroll on it through an article while you're eating your sandwich on your lunch break, right? So this is something that you have to really, really focus on. I mean, there are companies where they have, you know, chief culture officers, right? They're, like this is, this in its own is its own function in a business and we really need to be focused on it. So what was really cool about this article is we got, you know, over 30 collaborators across the industry. We got consolidators, we got the affinity organizations in VetMed, we got consultants and thought leaders, frontline workers, everyone came together to focus on the importance of people and culture. And we outlined the blueprint, like it's, go look it up, go to hound.vet, forward slash blog, and you'll see the ultimate guide to awesome culture and veterinary medicine. Read that thing. It is a blueprint to build awesome culture. Do all the things in that article. Do all the things in that blog. You will have amazing culture in your practices. You will. So, you know, for me, what led me to people and culture and what we're doing now is, you know, actually, if we rewind, you might remember, okay, I had this opportunity to take over as the CEO of this veterinary group. Uh, I unfortunately didn't find that that was going to be a fit for me at the time. So we moved to Thailand, right? Total curveball, right? I've been in vet med this entire time. It's always been my home. It's always been my domain. And we just kind of took this huge leap. And so took a job there with TripAdvisor, helped them launch an app. It's a marketplace product for restaurants. It was an island that we were living on. And, you know, I really adopted the Thai lifestyle. I had a moped and it was great. You know, i zipped around the island, went to different restaurants and hotels. I met with F&B directors and every single meeting was a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, you guys are with TripAdvisor. Of course, we're going to use you. Sit down with me and just let's eat and drink and have a nice conversation. Uh, so it was honestly pretty awesome. Uh, but then this weird thing happened in 2020 called COVID. And it basically shut down every restaurant and hotel around the world. And so I lost my job. Uh, and then when that happened, I had a moment of some serious introspection. I was around the world in another foreign country. I just lost my work visa. And I just also stepped away from a humongous opportunity. I just stepped away from a humongous opportunity. And this plan that we had completely fell through. And so I was really, you know, immediately in crisis mode, like, well, shit, I need a job, right? So I reached out to a bunch of people, one of which was Julian, the CEO of Vetstoria. I uh, sent him a text and within a few days, luckily, I had a job to help him launch uh, and grow the U.S. market, which has been a whole lot of fun. Uh, 
at the same time, I really realized like, okay, where do you need to be and what do you care about and what impact do you want to make in your one lifetime that you got here? What are you going to do with it? What's something special you're going to do? And I really started thinking, you know, what industry do you care so much about? That was an easy one to answer. Veterinary medicine, right? Um, I know the industry very well. I'm highly networked in the industry. That was clear to me that I needed to do something for veterinary medicine. And I'm super passionate about technology. I'm super passionate about different experience, about surprise and delight for clients and customers. And so I really started thinking like, okay, how could we just have a better experience in veterinary medicine? What does that look like? And so we started doing some more digging and then I kind of had the aha moment where I was like, look, uh, I love leading people and I've done a good job of it. And I saw what good culture could do for an organization. How could we scale that nationwide, industry-wide? How do we build this type of culture in veterinary medicine, period? And so I started speaking with a ton of people. So I spoke with hundreds of veterinary professionals about all this, did a bunch of surveys and interviews. And it became very clear, right, that we do have a big HR problem in veterinary medicine. That's not news. Everybody knows that. Um, We all feel it and see it every day in our day-to-day lives, right? But we had some data behind it, which was uh, helpful in making the decision. So, okay, great. We have now figured out that veterinary medicine is a better experience, and we want to figure out how to build a company around better culture in veterinary medicine. How in the world do you do that? Right. That's kind of uh, tricky. So we started doing a bunch of research around that, too. And we landed on what uh, we are starting now. Hound which is a brand new uh, veterinary HR software company. Uh, we came out of stealth mode about three months ago. Uh, we've got over 500 locations signed up already. Several consolidators already joining, which if you ha- are in the veterinary software space, understand that the consolidators usually are like a six to 12 month sales cycle. It was an amazing moment for me. One morning I woke up uh, to a Slack notification from a HubSpot workflow that let me know that a consolidator had inbound signed up for our software before we even have the product live, which is amazing, right? Word of mouth got around, somebody told somebody, somebody worked at one of these consolidators and they signed up. Um, That's very unheard of. And it showed me immediately that, okay, there's going to be some really awesome um, you know, reception of this product in the market. Right? Uh, quite honestly, I think that this is going to be um, growing very quickly, very soon. So what's exciting to me is that we are building a suite of veterinary talent solutions to manage the entire employee journey, right? If you look today, the start of that journey, you know, we, we pin the start of that journey at job search, but there's actually quite a bit that happens even before job search, but for the sake of this conversation and what we're working on, we'll say that. So people are looking for jobs. And when you're looking for a job, you know, you either hate the job you have, which that sucks, and then you have to go find a job, and that sucks, or you don't have a job and you're strapped for cash, that really sucks. And then on top of it, you got to go find a job, that also sucks. Or best case scenario, you love your job, that's great. But maybe something pulls you around the country. Maybe your you know, partner wants to go pursue their career somewhere else. And so you want to go follow them. And then guess what? Now you're going to go find another job in a new place that's unfamiliar. And that sucks. So regardless, if you are in the job search mode, 
it sucks. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. It's stressful. And we recognize that immediately right there, there's an opportunity to provide a better experience for the people of veterinary medicine. So what we're building is, you know, imagine Airbnb and replace places to stay with places to work. The platform is beautiful. Go check us out. Hound.vet. And you stack this against the other players in the space. Indeed, which is the number one job search platform and the number one used job board in veterinary medicine. You know, it's this like humongous company that's, uh, you know, can't do anything specific for any one industry. And so if you wanted to go post a job on Indeed, it's ugly, gross, text-based. It's not veterinary specific. It's just this kind of eh platform. And then if you go look at what else your options are, I mean, don't even get me started on Craigslist. Everybody, please stop posting jobs on Craigslist. That's so gross, right? I mean, we're hiring professionals. Why are we doing it on Craigslist? We can do better. There's uh, AVMA's uh, career board. You know, I've got colleagues at AVMA and love the work that they do. It's nothing against AVMA, but they have this third-party solution, Nailer, uh, as their job board. And like everyone knows it kind of sucks. You know, you spend a thousand dollars and go post a DBM job and get zero applications. And then you know what people do? They spend another thousand dollars and post another DBM job and get zero applications again. It, it doesn't work. Um, there's several others in the space that are, that have tried to build a product, but it's more of the same stuff. And it's because they've done the better versus different approach, right? They've tried to do better, but they haven't tried to do different. And so what Hound is doing is definitely different. We have a much, much different model, a much, much different approach to how we're building this platform. For one, it's freemium. What I mean by this is you can sign up for free as an employer. You can post a job for free as an employer. You don't get billed per application. Uh, you can even hire for free, right? You can use this platform for free. And then we have some other ways to give you a, a more advanced uh, experience as an employer uh, that you pay for. And one thing that I think is really cool is the platform actually is uh, set up in a way in which talent gets paid by the employers during their job search. We actually split some of our revenue and give it to the talent so that we can encourage them to be on this platform and have a better experience during the job search. It's super cool. You know, when, we, when you sign up for the platform, you get entered into a, a dream vacation giveaway. I, I, like I'm so excited at the end of each year to give a handful of people a call and be like, hey, I know how hard you work, right? I've been in your shoes. I worked overnights in an emergency animal hospital for four years to pay my way through college. Like I know how hard working in veterinary medicine is. And these people who are making $15, $20 an hour, can they afford that dream vacation to Bora Bora? No, they can't. So I cannot wait to call them and say, hey, I know how hard you work. I appreciate you so much. And pack your bags. You and your plus one are going on that dream vacation. Like, I cannot wait to do that type of stuff. It's going to be so cool. And we've got other referral programs where, you know, you earn cash uh, for referring others. You get additional dream vacation raffle entries for referring others. We just want to give back to the people in fun and exciting ways. It's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, as you as you use the platform and as you engage with uh, as you engage with employers, you can actually like earn money during job search. That's pretty cool. And as you use the platform, you also earn more points and you can redeem those points for prizes and things like we just think there's a different way to do it, right? A way different way to do it. 
So, you know, that's um, launching actually in September, right? So we're launching in September in 10, 10 key uh, metro areas. We'll be in Seattle, Oregon, um, sorry, Seattle, Portland, San Fran, LA, Denver, Austin, Chicago, Atlanta, Boston, and New York. So the kind of big metro areas throughout the states is where we're starting. And like I mentioned, we've already got several consolidators, 500 plus locations joining. We think that this is going to be a big, big, cool, awesome, new, different technology in veterinary medicine. Super exciting. Um, so all of this is uh, the first piece of the product, right? Helping people find jobs, helping your friends find jobs, helping uh, your employer find people, et cetera. Right? There's a different way to do it. So the first piece is this job search platform, which we're really excited about. The second piece that we're building is where it gets very, very helpful to the people of veterinary medicine. And this is where our people and culture management tools come in. It's called a workplace engagement platform. And, you know, examples of this would be things like Lattice or Bonusly. These are technologies that are typically used by, you know, software companies or Fortune 100s or whatever it might be. But they're not really suited for vet med. Right. And what we're excited to do is build an integrated suite of solutions for the industry. So you hire your people on Hound and then guess what? They join your team. And in that process, as they're joining your team, we have solutions to help you manage them joining your team. And as they're now on your team and they've been there for six months, now we're going to help you manage, you know, one on ones and performance evaluations. We're going to help you with feedback. We're going to help with recognition and reward and community engagement within your team members. We're giving the industry a suite of solutions to better manage their people from the outset of connecting with them in their employee journey to employing them and all the way through to when they eventually leave your practice and down the road, they're getting a new job and they want a letter of recommendation from you. You know, we're building relationships with humans in this industry. And when you hire somebody like they're not just a number on a chart right? They're not just someone on a spreadsheet, that this should be a person to you. You know, I mentioned people come first, people first, all of us before we are, you know, a software founder, or a veterinarian, or a technician, or whatever your title is, before all of that, we're people. And I think that if this industry started treating one another as people instead of titles, we'd have a much, much better experience in the space. Um, and so this is what we're looking to build. Um, you know, here in the next year, we will be releasing this full suite of solutions nationwide. So we're starting next month in these 10 key markets with the job search platform. Uh, we are actively building the other solutions, working super hard um, and very, very excited to be able to find a way to create something that does not exist in veterinary medicine today. This does not exist. We've looked extensively. Um, we can't find it. And you talk to consolidators and you ask them these questions, what are you using? And they don't have an answer. Um, you ask, how are you managing culture? How are you managing people? And there's there's no answer, uh, which is crazy to me. You know, it's crazy to me that people have not been put first for so long. Uh, and so Hound is here to help. We're here to solve this problem. You know, whenever we talk about <clears throat> this internally, Hound kind of wants to like, you know, I mentioned a sledgehammer earlier. Hound kind of wants to lead a riot and like get the people behind us and have the big ass sign that says like, this shit sucks. We need better, take care of us better, recognize us better, pay us better, all of this, right? Hound wants to kind of be that, right? We kind of want to be the one that helps usher in 
a better way to do veterinary medicine and a better way to take care of your people. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what we'll find is that this change in our industry, it's long overdue, right? If you listen to your people, this is long overdue. And if this change is made successfully, we will be able to attract more talent to this industry. We will be able to retain our talent. We will be able to keep up with the demand of, of growing uh, pet ownership. You know, right now, the rate limiting step to the growth of veterinary medicine is talent constraint. When we say the rate limiting step, what this means is like in any process, there's something that is the slowest uh, uh, of the reaction or of the process. And if we speak to consolidators that have huge private equity backing, the only reason they're not opening 100 hospitals a month, it's not money. It's not a lack of pet owners. It's not a lack of pet ownership. It's a lack of being able to staff those new buildings. They would just be empty. There's not enough people, right? And there's a few reasons that's true. It's because people kind of know, like, look, going to vet school, I leave with a ton of debt. And then I'm not really like making all the money I should be making. And then my culture kind of sucks too. And, you know, then like, it's just not sustainable, right? So if we want to be able to keep up with the growing demand, I mean, I think there's a statistic that says that by 2030, 75 million pets won't have access to veterinary care if we keep this up. That's incredible. We really, really, really need to change and fix this problem. Uh, and so Hound really hopes that we can be the, you know, the solution. Uh, we want to build a better experience for the people of veterinary medicine. We hear everything that they're saying. We see them. We appreciate them. We respect and love the people of this industry. And if anyone is going to uh, help make this happen, I think we're putting together an amazing team to do it. You know, on our advisory board, we've got Justine Lee. Adam Chrisman, Lisa Lipman, Daniel Lambert, Marie Holowaychuk, Josh Weissman, Debbie Boone. I mean, the list goes on. We are working so hard to make a change in this industry. And I think, quite honestly, it's the most important change that we could make, which is a better experience for our people. It's ironic because, uh, of course, I'm really good friends with Josh. Josh is an amazing person and has been very influ influential in um in Lucas Foundation and, and starting. And then I actually just uh, interviewed Marie uh, like two or three days ago. So her episode will be coming out in a week. So yeah, kind of good timing on that. So as I mean, as we're here at the end, I mean, you've kind of mentioned a little bit about what the platform is and that you're launching in September. So the last couple of minutes here, if there's somebody, you know, a hospital that's interested in signing up and joining and taking advantage and kind of getting on this new wave of finding a way to build and, build the right culture, right? Um, find their why, as Simon Sinek says, you know, and uh, how, do, how should they how should they get signed up? Yeah, just go to the website. It's easy. Hound up bet. Now you click sign up and you got this awesome sign up workflow. You'll notice it's way, way, way different, better. It's, yeah, go to hound up bet. You'll see what I'm saying immediately. Awesome. And so it'll be launching in September. So like come September, they can start looking and trying to match with people to potentially hire. Is that the goal? Yep, that's right. In September, people will start getting jobs, um, you know, better employers paying better with better culture. This is our goal, right? Um, so in September, uh, again, those 10 cities or 10 metro areas that we're launching in are Seattle, Portland, San Fran, LA, Denver, Austin, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, Boston, and New York. Um, so if you're in those areas or surrounding areas, definitely go sign up, right? Go sign up and it's free for the rest of uh, 2021. Um, and then in 2022, we'll have some billing models where if you want some advanced features, 
uh, we'll give you access to those things. So yeah, definitely go check it out. Uh, we're really excited. And if you're not in those areas that we just mentioned, doesn't matter. Just sign, go ahead and sign up now uh, and we'll come to your area very soon. That's awesome. Well, sweet, man. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you and to chat with you and, and to learn more about it and, and to talk about the industry. You know, um, I had a meeting with my my boss, actually, my the, my boss that, that gave me my first job in technology and software, and we were chatting last night, and we were talking about the industry. He's like, "Oh, you know so much about the industry, but really, I don't know much. It's just I get to listen to people like yourself who know so much more than I do, and then I just kind of get to absorb it and and hopefully contribute in a small way and learn a little bit more. So, thank you so much for your time. It was great, uh, yeah, great chatting with you. And yeah, we're gonna have to get get out and do some type two type fun stuff uh, out here in Colorado. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Thanks so much for all the work you're doing here. I think, uh, you know, you're bringing the people of veterinary medicine together. And, you know, I'm all about that. So love the work you're doing. Love this podcast. Thanks so much, man. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to grab some beers and hit the slope soon. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye.